trust that was your prayer again tonight. Completely empty of self so that God can fill us, that God can speak, so that I can be a better person for him. Hope you all had a good day. I've had an exciting day. I've seen my first snow, at least in a in a snowball form, um, for the year. I enjoyed that. On another note, I may fail to make mention. Last night, I posted a picture of my family back there on the bulletin board. Um, I haven't had anybody really specifically asking me about a photo or anything like that, but that's usually kind of high on some people's minds. And uh, so if you didn't see it last night, it's back there. You're welcome to take the photo down. There's the names of my children and their ages on the back side. So if you're a little curious, uh, you can dig a little deeper if you so choose so, to do that. It's not the greatest picture. It's a little grainy. But it might give you a little clue of what we might look like. And so... Uh, Enjoy yourself. Greetings in the name of Jesus this evening. The one that said, all power is given unto me. Then he turned around and told his disciples to go. And the power that was invested in Jesus is it invested in you and I tonight to go forth in that same power. To do the things that Jesus himself would do, simply making disciples, teaching, preaching, baptizing, collecting souls into the kingdom. Tonight, the message, the title of the message is Seven Notches in the Key of Powerful Living. Seven Notches in the Key of Powerful Living. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, the largely looking at the last chapter, if I can find it, there we are. But before we go to the last chapter, chapter 6, there's a few things that I want us to make note of in the first chapter. This thing of powerful living has to do with, and it was in kind of my introduction, all power is given unto me, go, you go. And so we have this thing of in Christ. In chapter 1, verse 3, we have heavenly places in Christ. Verse 4, he hath chosen us in him. And that's talking about Jesus. God has chosen us in Christ. In verse 7, we have to whom, or we could be we have in Christ We have redemption through his blood. In verse verse 11, again, we have in whom or in Christ 
Also, we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated. Yes, it is true that we are predestinated, but it's conditional. Um, I don't believe in the unconditional predestination. Our predestination is conditional, and it's, con- and it's in my choice. It's not something that God does, and I have no choice in the matter. Just make sure we're clear here. But scripture says being predestinated according to the purposes. Verse 13. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. And so in Christ is where this power comes from. And then we have a couple verses that have this power word. Verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? And so if you believe tonight, you, you have access to this power that was invested in Jesus. And by the way, this, the, the Greek word that is used in this verse is the same word that was used in Matthew 28, where Jesus quotes all power. And it's the Greek word that we get the word dynamite from. And I don't know if there's anybody here that has any personal experience with dynamite or not. But dynamite, from my understanding, is a source of lots of energy that is stored up in some powder. And when it's set off, it moves things. And from some stories that I've heard... Oftentimes it moves more than what's intended. And so there's lots of power there. There's dunamos. And that's the power that was invested in Jesus. And that's the same power that Jesus is investing us. And that's what's used here. His power to us who believe. And then in the ends of that verse, according to the working of his mighty power. And that's not quite the same Greek word. But it's there for us anyway. Verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. And so there's that other power word. Chapter 2, verse 2, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Now in this word, or in this setting, we need to recognize that the evil forces that are out there are powerful as well, but they're not all powerful. God is all powerful. The evil forces that are around us are more powerful than us. And if we think that we're going to overcome the evil forces in my own strength, we're going to fall flat on our face in a failure. It's not going to work. We need to have the power of Jesus if we intend to win over sin. And I just point that out here because it talks about the prince of the power of the air. And we need to remember that the evil forces, devil and his angels, are have some power as well. Chapter 3, verse 7. Wherefore, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. And so when we go into ministry work, and it's not just preaching behind pulpits, it's serving people in whatever form and fashion and serving their needs, it takes power, sometimes lots of power, to do what we need to be doing even if it's not fun. 
takes lots of power. Verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly above, abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. God is able to do beyond our imaginations. Beyond our imaginations. And then jumping to Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And that's the beginning verse of our text tonight. Let's read on. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith, wherein ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. And we'll stop there. Now we'll read one more verse. For which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And those last two verses are kind of my plea and my prayer for myself tonight, that I can speak boldly in those words that I ought to speak. And I was thinking about this um, just right before I got up here. And Paul was writing this. And I, and I read Paul's writings, and I'm like, and this man was asking for prayer to, to speak boldly? I mean, to me, I, I, in my imagination at least, Paul was a man that didn't lack words when he got up to preach. And he's preached very eloquently, I think. And so why did he ask for prayer? Um, anyway, so if he needs prayer, I definitely need it. <clears throat> the seven notches. In the key to powerful living. He starts out in verse 10. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. This seems to be Paul's conclusion or concluding remark to his letter to the church at Ephesus. And obviously it's close to the end of his writing here. Paul's encouragement sounds a lot like what the Lord told Joshua. Have I not commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. With that kind of a promise behind you, is there any stopping? Would there be any place that Joshua didn't put his foot that God had already cleared the path before he got there? I mean, the victory was won before he even started. And that's simply what, what Paul, I see, is telling us. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. 
Joshua, as well as us, need to understand that God is not a God of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, according to 2 Timothy 1.7. And when Joshua, as well as us, understand that when we are empowered by God, the battle is already won. It's not, we don't have to sit back and think, well, I hope this is going to go okay. It will go okay. And we can move forward with that confidence. All we have to do is move forward in faith and confidence. Paul recognizes that unless we are empowered by God, we will fall flat on our faces before the devil and his forces. And we have stories in Scripture that bear that out. We need to recognize that we are no match for the forces of evil that exist around us. Paul tells us in verse 11 that if we neglect one piece of armor, we will fail. He encourages us to put on the whole armor of God. The putting on is our part. The battle is God's part. Only in when we purposefully and intentionally clothe ourselves with the armor of God, then and only then will we be victorious over the devil's schemes of destruction. And by the way, the devil doesn't care how he destroys you as long as he gets it done. And he has a whole toolbox of schemes and wiles and tricks and whatever you want to put in there. And if one doesn't work, he'll get another thing. And if that doesn't work, he'll find another tool. And if that doesn't work, he'll get another tool. And in my mechanic shop, we kind of have a joke in our shop that if one hammer is not big enough, get a bigger one. Um, and that's a little bit how the devil operates, I think. Paul also reminds us that this battle is ultimately spiritual. The church in Paul's day was facing some real physical abuses. Persecution was starting to break out. And we don't face these kinds of persecutions today, praise the Lord, at least in a physical way. But in their day, it, it was to some extent. But Paul wants them to realize that it wasn't so much the people that were administrating the abuses that were at fault as it was the spiritual forces of evil that was behind it all. It was the devil's plan to stamp the fledgling church out at Ephesus. So what do we do when, in quotes, physical abuses come? Do we recognize that these physical abuses are instigated by the forces of evil to bring us to our own spiritual destruction? The seven notches to the key to having victory or power to be able to stand in the evil day in which we live. And again, I remind us that if one of the notches doesn't line up, the key won't work. And the Lord gave me a real personal experience this week on that. By the way, I did ask permission to share this story, so I'm, I'm good here. Um, Wednesday evening after church, I had went to my apartment, and Richard, I met Richard there. He needed to do a few things for me, to t take care of a few things. And, and so we went to the Bible school. We were taking care of some things, and... He left to, to go home, and I went to my apartment, and I got to the apartment and stuck the key in there. It didn't work. 
there was two keys on the ring, so I pulled the other, pulled it out, stuck the other one in it, and that didn't work either. I'm like, whoa, here, what's going on? And so I kind of jiggled it around a little. You know how sometimes keys get a little worn. You have to kind of jiggle them around to make sure the pins fall in the right places and that kind of thing. And, and nothing worked. And I tried to jiggle the doorknob, and that didn't work either. And I went and found another door to see if it worked there, and it didn't work either. And and uh, so finally I, I felt bad calling Richard. I was left in the cold unless I went out in the car and sat in the car. And I called Richard, and I said, hey, there's something up with this key. It don't work. And he was a little surprised. Bless his heart, he turned around and came back a few minutes later. And he had told me over the phone that, well, there's two keys on there. One goes for the Bible school and one's for the apartment. And so I walked over to the Bible school and found the one that worked there. And so I, I knew which key was the culprit. And I went back to my doorknob again and tried it again. And it still didn't work. By that time, he showed up and... He tried it. He jiggled. He twisted. He shook. It still didn't work. And so he, he had a key in his pocket on his key rig, and he held both, both keys up side by side. And he said, hmm, they don't look the same. It fit the knob. I mean, you could put it in, but you could, it wouldn't work. And so he, I don't know if he's got a, one of those key cutting machines in the Bible school or not, but after a while he come back with another key, stuck it in, it worked fine. So the key fit. The key slid in the notch. But if the if the pins in there aren't all lined up in the right place at the right time or the right location, it won't work. And so coming back to our our lesson tonight, we have seven notches that we want to look at tonight, and we have one key. I didn't say keys. We have one key, and if any one of these, in quotes, notches isn't active or isn't what it ought to be, we will not be powerful. We won't get through the door. We will be locked out. We will be left in the cold. So, notch number one, verse 14. is having your loins girt about with truth. When I, and I, another thing I found is interesting when I, a number of years ago when I put this message together, is that each one of these notches, there's an Old Testament passage you can go with it. And so in Isaiah 11.5, we have these words, And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Isn't that pretty close? having your loins girt about with truth. And in fact, in Isaiah 11, verse 5, this is a prophecy about Jesus himself, that his loins will be the girdle of his loins. The righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins. <clears throat> well, what's so important about this being having our loins girt about with truth? Well, our attire today is a little bit different than theirs, but most of us, at least as men, wear a belt. Why do we wear a belt? Well, you say, well, that's pretty obvious. It keeps the shirt tails in and the pants on, right? Keeps keeps things where it ought to be. And it's kind of around the middle, and it just kind of keeps everything there. It is central to our being. And its purpose and design is to keep my clothes in place and out of the way. If 
if I understand it right, in their day, the, the men had more robes, a little like our sisters' dresses. And, and I don't know, I don't make a practice of wearing dresses, and so you're going to have to help me out just a little. But does your skirt ever get in the way? You're out in the garden, or you're, you need to run after the cows, or whatever. Does your skirt ever get in the way? I'm not sure. You're, I'm not sure whether you're going to be honest with me. Huh? The, as I understand it, this, in, when they went prepared for battle, they would, they would take their girdle and kind of pick up their skirt. The, 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 the people in the army would pick up their skirt and take their girdle and kind of go down around between their legs to kind of pull their skirt up so it went, and, and then wrap it around them so that the skirt would be kind of close to their legs, a little bit like our trousers are today. And so you didn't have this flapping thing uh, getting in your way when maybe you're running away from the army or or uh, out fighting in battle. It, it was it was held close to you. It didn't get in your way to trip you up. That's my understanding. Well, anyway, back to our lesson. Truth needs to be central to my being or thinking. And if you remember our diagram that we had on the board last night, our thoughts controlled our actions. If it's not in our thoughts, we won't be doing it. Or if it's in our thoughts, we will be doing it or we'll be soon doing it, especially if it's sin. So that I don't fall to pieces when the devil bombards me with doubt and deception. Remember the toolbox that I said the devil had, that he had had all kinds of tools in his toolbox, and if one doesn't work, and so if he can't, if he can't get us by doubt, maybe he'll come with some half-truths or some deception, or he'll come with something else. If we're not bathed in the truth, if we're not cleansed in the truth, if we're not familiar with the truth, we're going to fall for some of his deceptions. One of the schemes of the devil is that comes to us with almost a truth to distract us from our walk with God. And I'd like to sound a warning here. There's a lot of Christian writings out there, so-called Christian writings, that aren't quite all the truth. They don't contain some truth, uh, pieces of truth. And they mix some half-truths or some, some lies in it. Let's be careful with that kind of stuff. That's where we get messed up. Keep the truth central. Jesus said in John 8, verses 32 and 30, 31 and 32. He, and he talked to the Jews which believed on him. If ye continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And he's talking about the Jewish people. The Jewish people were, a lot of them, were well-versed in the Old Testament law. They weren't necessarily ignorant of what God expected of them. And he said, if you dwell in the truth, the truth will make you free. If you want powerful living, stay connected to the source of power by making the word central to your life. The word of God needs to be central. We need to have a daily diet of it. We need to attend services. I thank you for being here fairly regularly. The second notch in our key is also found in verse 14. The second half of the verse, having on the breastplate of righteousness. 
Isaiah 59 verse 17. And he put on righteousness as a breastplate. The breastplate. Oh, sorry. He put on righteousness as a breastplate. And so that's, again, that's very similar to what Paul is is saying. The breastplate of righteousness. This is the second notch. The breastplate was covered the front and back of the vital area of the upper torso. In other words, it was a piece of metal, steel, I don't know, brass, bronze, gold, I don't know how what all they made it out of. And it was kind of had a had a shield in front and a shield in back, and sometimes there were some leather straps or chains or something that kind of went across the shoulders to kind of help hold it there. And it covered the back as well as the front. Righteousness has to do with character and action. Right actions will protect us vitally when the devil accuses of wrongdoing, even if he snuck in behind us. If we don't choose to do what is right, the devil accuses us of wrongdoing. Then we won't have a leg to stand on and we will hang our heads in shame and defeat. The, the devil is an accuser of the brethren. The scripture tells us that. And he will accuse you. And if, and if he can catch us doing something wrong, mark it down, he's going to make hay out of it. He's going to make hay out of it. The breastplate of righteousness is doing what's right. 2 Timothy 2, verses 7 and 8. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. I don't know if I said this last night or the night before. I'm not sure. That there's some thinking that I hear among us that kind of bothers me. And that is this thinking of, uh, it's just in the heart. That's all what counts. And we can do whatever we want to do in our actions. That's not scripture. That's not scripture. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. Is just speech just a, just a thought issue? No, it's part of our works. It's what people know us by. They, they, it builds our reputation. It's part of our character. That he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. And so if people are looking for, for something to accuse us by or to pick us apart, they're going to find something that we did or said is part of our works. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Dearly, brother, dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Having your conversation, that word conversation would be better understood as lifestyle. Having your lifestyle honest among the Gentiles. How are they going to know that you're a Christian if you don't live the Christian life? What they see is going to be their best Bible to probably ever read. And so let's not negate this thing of works. And Paul is saying, having your conversation or your lifestyle honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil against you as evildoers... They may buy your good works, which they shall behold. They'll see it. They'll know it. They'll, they know whether we're living right or wrong. You don't have to tell them how a Christian ought to be. They know already. 
that which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. When they stand before God, giving account of their lives, and God says, you remember back when so-and-so brother or sister at Blooming Prayer Mennonite Church said so-and-so of this at the Dollar General store? You remember that? And he's going to say, yeah, yeah, I remember that. He said, why don't you follow their example? And it'll condemn him. Even though maybe he tried to condemn you in the process or whatever he saw you do. Anyway, chapter 2, verse 15 of First Peter. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may be put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. We're talking about the breastplate of righteousness. We're talking about doing what's right. Right doing will put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 of 1 Peter. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct... I think the King James would use conversation reading from the New King James here. In Christ may be ashamed, for it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Let's not go home tonight thinking that Christianity is just a heart issue. Doing what is right will not always be popular. And by the way, this thing of righteous living is probably becoming less and less and less popular even in America. But you will have a clear conscience. Righteousness is doing what is right because it is the right thing to do. And it's never wrong to do right. If you want powerful living, do what is right because that is what the source of power would do. Third key, or the, not the third key, the third notch in our key. Verse 15. Have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Isaiah 20, 52, verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publishes salvation. Thus saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth. That sounds a little bit like the New Testament, doesn't it? How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings. This notch is in the offensive nature. So far, notches have been in the defensive. The... The, the, the breastplate of righteousness has to do with defensive. It's, it's to re- deflect the, the sword, the spear, the javelin, the whatever that comes to us to, to deflect it off of us. The, the first one. Having the loins girt about with truth. That, there again, that, that has to, well, it could be somewhat offensive, but not so much defensive. But this notch is, is primarily offensive in nature. We as soldiers of Jesus Christ need to be taking the good news of peace to those who are without peace. If we don't take it to them, if we don't present it to them, if we don't show it to them in how we live by our conversation, they won't know. This is by nature will be causing us to enter into enemy Territory. Have you ever felt rather, rather um, conspicuous? I guess is the word. 
um, because of your lifestyle in some places that you go? I have already. May we be faithful in doing what's right even when we feel rather like a loose animal out of a zoo somewhere. And the devil will be full of wrath against us. We need to understand that the devil will try to fill us with fear, trepidation, and anxiety. But just like Jesus came to seek to save those who are lost, so should we seek to be channels of salvation to those that are lost. Moving forward with confidence, knowing that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And we talked already about this, you know, the, the devil is powerful, but God is all powerful. And so we can move forward with confidence, doing what's right. Being willing or quick to share the gospel that brings peace to troubled hearts. I remember years ago, I don't know if this is 20 years ago or not, our congregation would pass out tracts in the local town of Petersburg. And my wife and I, well, soon after we were married, so I guess it had been 23, four years, however long it's been now, kind of forget water keeps going over the dam. You forget to count years after a while. We were passing tracks out in this one uh, apartment complex area in town. And and I walked up to this one door, and all of a sudden the door, there was someone who was inside the door just beating on the door like they were going to come out through it. That does something to you. It did me. Uh, your heart kind of picks up a few paces on its beat, and you start sweating just a little, and you feel rather uncomfortable, and... I think I kind of turned around and just kind of simply just walked away. And um, I don't know, we were, we were passing out the just for use. They come out, what, once a quarter or something like that. And so the next time we went, I I was scared before I got to that sidewalk. And I got to that sidewalk, and again, the door sounded like it was going to come out of its sockets. Uh, so I just kind of walked on past. Was that the right response? I don't know. I, I sometimes wonder if... If we do more damage by trying to, in quote, stuff things down people's throats. If they don't want it, just move on. I don't know. But fear, trepidation, anxieties. Yeah. The devil wants us to, to, to detour. And if he can get us to do it, he do it. A month or two later, whenever we went, it, it just seemed like it was uh, a different note. The guy must have moved on and found another place to go or somewhere, and I started passing out tracks again. And so, anyway, but that's how the devil operates. On another note, we should be known as peacemaking people. Everywhere we go, in all of our relationships, we should be leaving a testimony of peace because we're governed by the Prince of Peace. Remember that the diagram last night? We had the, the blowed out, uh, exploded view of, of that throne room and who is sitting on that throne. And when Jesus is sitting on that throne, it affects, it affects our whole life. It affects our thinking and it affects our actions and it will affect our emotions.
It is only when we leave a testimony of peace that we can share the gospel of peace. If we can't leave a testimony of peace, we're going to have a pretty hard, difficult time in sharing the gospel of peace. And remember, this is the notch of having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. If you want powerful living, then introduce powerless people to the source of peace or the source of power. Notch number four. has to do with verse 16 taking the shield of faith and I and I want to call a little word here a couple words to attention and that is above all above all take the shield of faith and I don't know if Paul is is trying to get across that this is the most important notch or not I, like I said they're all important and if any one of these missing your key won't work And so why does he say that the middle one is the all-important one? I don't know, but this is the middle one. We had three before, and we're going to have three after. And so this is the middle notch. And faith, is it should be central to our thinking? Should it be central to our belief, central to our religion, central to whatever? I don't know if that was part of it or not. But anyway, Genesis 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram with a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield, and thy exceeding great reward. Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Take the shield of faith. God was Abram's shield of faith. God was David's shield. God can be our shield as well. But it's a shield of faith. We must have faith in an all-knowing, all-powerful God if we are going to ward off the fiery darts of doubt, discouragement, and disappointment. And those are things we face. That's that's real in this life. We will face these types of things. And some of these experiences in life will shake us to the core in our faith. We need to be confident that God knows what He is doing. There are going to be experiences in life that we will not understand. God, why? God, make your will clear. I don't understand. This is... Mud to me. We won't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Doubts will cave in upon us without remedy. And living will seem hopeless and useless. Friends, depression is no sin. Depression is, like on our diagram the the other last evening, depression is an emotion. And it's no sin. But sin could cause it. So let's be careful. Nor do we need to be ashamed of it. If we're down in the dumps and we're discouraged and we're depressed and it looks like life is useless and hopeless and what's the point of going on? We need to talk. We need to find someone to share our experience with. That's the value of brotherhood. To bury one another's burdens. To lift us, to be lifted up out of some of these deep throes that we find ourselves in. And God's people are not immune 
to these down feelings. They come to us. They happen. David says in Psalm 23, verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I don't know if David understood that the valley of shadow of death is probably the mo- one of the most disappointing, discouraging, depressing type of experiences a person could ever go through. I don't know. I personally have not experienced a close kin, close friend, whatever, to die, to pass away. Yes, I've had some grandparents. All of my grandparents on my, you know, both of my dad and mom's sides have, have passed away now. But that's not, that's a little bit removed. It's not like dad, or it's not like my spouse. It's not like my child, where there's closer relationships. And it can be very, very discouraging and disappointing and if we're not careful it's those kinds of times that depression can set in and we need to talk we need to talk we need to find people around us that can carry us on even though David had some very deep feelings of discouragement and depression he had an unwavering confidence in God that he could see the big picture he uh, he Bless David's heart. There was things that happened in David's life that probably most of us would would give up. But yet David kept moving forward. And David, there's there's different places that David David encouraged himself in the Lord, if I remember right. Especially when his his army was about ready to stone him. In that one story, <clears throat> he encouraged himself in the Lord. We have the same promise today. Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. That's Jesus' promise to us today. And so we can go to the bank on that. That Jesus will be with us regardless of what we face. And he cares. Why is this one of the most important keys? Or the notches in the key Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is putting faith in something that we can't see. It's not tangible. We, there's no science that's going to prove that God exists. They can't prove it. And so some people say, Well, yeah, you're, you, you believe in thought, you're a pie in the sky or something like that. I think that's the way one person put it. Well, it is a pie in the sky, isn't it? I hope we have some pie in the sky. Uh, Whatever pie I like, whatever it is. <clears throat> Verse 6, chapter 11, Hebrews says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If we want to please God, we have got to believe that he exists. And that takes faith. Because we can't prove his existence at least on a scientific basis. Without faith, we will not believe God, and we will be vulnerable to Satan's attacks to doubt God's credibility. Half God said. Huh, well, yeah, he said that, but I don't know if he meant that. And you know the rest of the story. If you want powerful living, then 
Have faith that the source of power is bigger than any problem you have. Is that our God? Is that your God? Either we have a big God and small problems, or we got big problems and a small God. And it all depends on how big your God is. The fifth notch. Verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation. Isaiah 59 verse 17. And a helmet of salvation upon his head. And so, helmet of salvation. What is meant here? Where do we put the helmet? Talked about that last night, didn't we? We put it on our heads. What is the head, what is the head for? We talked about that last night too. It, it holds the brains and the brains do the thinking and the thinking controls our actions and our rest of our body. Take the helmet of salvation. We need to know that we are saved. Is that too strong? We need to know that we are saved. John 3.37 All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Is that eternal security or what? But it's conditional. Just like the predestination I told you earlier. It's conditional. I can jump out of God's hands, but God is not going to throw me out just because He wants to. There might be, if He does that, it's because maybe I did some things that deserve that. But anyway, I will no wise cast out. John 17, verse 12. While I was with them, and this is his highly, a part of His high priestly prayer. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition. And who was he talking about? Judas. Judas was still part of the twelve at that point. And he says, there, none of them are lost except the son of perdition. Did Judas have a choice in the matter? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. But the son of perdition that the scriptures might be fulfilled. First John 2, 3, and hereby we do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. It's conditional. Our knowledge of God, our, the, the quality of our salvation is conditional if we keep his commandments. First John 5, 18 and 20. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. We need to know that we are saved. And if we are keeping, striving to keep the commandments of God, Satan cannot touch us. Isn't that comforting? Isn't that, shouldn't that be empowering us? And we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us the understanding that we may know Him that is true. And we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ, that is the true God and eternal life. We know that the Son of God is come, that we may know Him that is true. We've got to know that we are saved. I was going to read some from Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. I don't think I will. It's, 
it, it, there again, it's, it's verses, it has the idea of, of God keeping us. Uh, it, it ends up in verse 38. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall I be able to separate us from the love of God. There's one thing that can separate us, and that's myself. God will not cut his covenant of salvation from you. But I can choose to separate myself from God's covenant. If you want a powerful living, then you need to know that you are saved. The sixth notch, verse 17 again, using the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Hebrews 4, verses 12 to 13, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, On my when I was checking in my luggage in Clarksburg, they, my my carry-on package that I had with me got separated out in the security system, and they, I guess they must have saw something in the camera that must have alerted their little uh, sensors, and so they opened my suitcase up and started rummaging around. But before the lady opened it up, she goes, uh, is there anything sharp in here? I said, well, no. Then it dawned on me. I had my Bible in there. I said, uh, yeah, there, there is something sharp in there. It's a sword. It's called my Bible. And she, I don't, I don't know if she uh, liked the joke or not. Uh, she didn't She didn't say anything, but she didn't crack a smile either. Um, the sword of the Spirit. It's sharp and it divides the thoughts and intents of our hearts. God knows what we're thinking. And He knows whether it's right or wrong. And we can use Scripture to combat the devil. As, as, a, as a defensive as well as an offensive tool. Jesus quoted scripture in his combat with the devil, as we find it in Matthew 4, 1 to 11. Which scriptures did he quote? From what part of the Bible? You ever think about that? Did he quote from the New Testament or the Old Testament? It was the Old Testament, what? The New Testament didn't exist yet. He was, he was kind of in the process of making the New Testament. And so he quoted the Old Testament. And then I hear people say, well, the Old Testament is old, it's drab, it's powerless, it's lifeless, it's whatever. Is that what Jesus thought of the Old Testament? It brought him victory, didn't it? It was quick and powerful and sharp for him. Let's be careful about our attitude about the Old Testament and its usefulness. <clears throat> Paul tells Second Tim- Timothy in Second Timothy three fourteen and fifteen. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of them 
that thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. What was the Holy Scriptures in Paul's day? To be precise, it was the Septuagint. It wasn't New Testament as we have it. It was basically a Greek version of the old his, his, uh, the the Hebrew the the Old Testament Hebrew writings. If I get it out right, it was the Septuagint, and he says, "Which are able to make thee wise unto salvation." Dwight, did you ever preach a message of salvation from the Old Testament? Did anybody here have ever heard a message of salvation from the Old Testament? What do you think the early church preached from? Before they had canonized our New Testament scriptures in about 300 or 400. What do you think they used? It was the Old Testament. They preached salvation from the Old Testament. Through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture. Again, what was their scriptures? Genesis to Malachi, right? All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Let's, brothers and sisters, let's be careful about our attitude about the Old Testament. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto ungood works. If the early church could preach salvation and it can be powerful for them, it can be powerful for us as well today. If you want powerful living, then we must base our fight on the word of God. If we start going outside of the word of God to basing our opinions and our theology and our viewpoints and that kind of thing, we're standing on treacherous ground. It's got to be based on the word of God. The seventh notch. Verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication. Prayer is the vital lifeline between us and the giver of life. Physical, spiritual, and emotional. Prayer should not only be about myself and my world, focusing on my needs and my situation. I don't know what the quality of your prayer life is like. But if it's a little bit like me, you kind of get into this habit, we kind of pray, you pray around the, my world. You know, things that involve me, the my day, my whatever. And the list could go on and it's all about me. And I'm not saying we shouldn't pray about me. That's not all wrong. But I think our prayers need to get a little bit bigger than just me. We need to be praying for the needs of others. Including your preacher. That's what Paul says. Pray for me that I may preach boldly. Prayer is more than words and motions. Prayer is connecting our spirit with God's spirit. And a lot of times our prayers, if we're going to be have powerful prayers, we need to be praying, not my will, but thine be done. If we expect God to be powerful and answer our prayers powerfully, we must be submitted in our wills to the will of God. Not only is prayer a personal thing between me and God, but also something that should be shared within the brotherhood. And I appreciated our times of prayer that we've had 
this week. We need to recognize the power of prayer, not only on a personal level, but collectively as well, which multiplies that power. Jesus said, when two or three are multi- or have, have, uh, have met in my name, gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. We don't need a dozen people to have a good prayer meeting. If you need power, find another brother or sister or two and get together and pray in a powerful way. Of all the keys or the notches that we discussed this evening, the one that is probably the most crippling to the powers of darkness is prayer. Y'all find it easy to pray? I see your answers a little bit on your faces. You, you struggle with having good prayer life? Yeah, I can, I can agree with that. You sit down and you have prayers, and, and next thing you know, your brain is, your mind is going off in left field somewhere and way off, way off kelter. Yeah, that's, that's, that's real. I face that too. It takes intentional diligence to have an effective prayer life. I, I agree. There is nothing more that the devil hates than to see a sinner or saint bowing boldly before the throne of grace. When we come before God, and Scripture says that we can come before God boldly to the throne of grace, and when we are there, the devil hates it. He hates it. If you want powerful living, then be a praying person. What is the purpose of these seven keys? Again, I've got my notes. I first when I built this message, I used the keys. And then later on, I changed it. No, it's not keys. It's not individual keys. It's one key with different notches. And so I keep finding these little mistakes. Seven notches to the key of powerful living. And we find that in back in chapter 1. is to the praise of the glory of his grace. Verse 6 of chapter 1, verse 12, that we should be to the praise of His glory. And verse 14, unto the praise of His glory. And so the, the, the purpose of this powerful living is to the praise of His glory. Not because so-and-so is so powerful and they make a big name of themselves. That's not the point. The point is to the praise of His glory. Are you living in victory to the praise of His glory? Are you having power over sin, or do you find yourself struggling and defeated and constantly struggling with kind of the same failures over and over and over again? God bless you for your kind attendance tonight. Come back tomorrow evening, see what the Lord has for us. Remember the key the seven notches that include the seven notches to powerful living and may you be living powerful tonight, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year till the Lord returns. Let's stand for prayer.